Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we delve into this consequential moment in American history by bringing you the very latest reporting and analysis. This morning, the House Judiciary Committee approved two articles of impeachment. Take a listen to House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler. Today is a solemn and sad day. For the third time in a little over a century and a half, the House Judiciary Committee has voted articles of impeachment against the president for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The House will act expeditiously. Thank you. The question, of course, is now what? I'm thrilled to have two knowledgeable guests to help me make sense of the days and weeks ahead. In a few minutes, we'll be talking with CNN crime and justice reporter Caitlin Polance. She'll have an update on the role the courts are playing in impeachment. But first, I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, CNN chief political correspondent, Dana Bash. Dana, thank you for being here. Hi, David. Hi. I'm, so I'm so bored. There's nothing going on. I know. It's, <laughs> it's a really quiet time here in Washington. <laughs> Everyone's just like in the holiday lull. Yeah. I feel two things simultaneously on a day like today. I get the sense of the big historic moment, and yet because of the way our modern politics uh, are and the way it plays out, there's something um, less than dramatic about it all, even though we're talking about the fourth time in history reaching this moment. It's anticlimactic and climactic at the same time. Yeah. Does that does that it, does that even make sense? <laughs> um, but that's I think in keeping with our politics right now and our discourse right now, um, the tribal sense of, of, of where we are. Um, you know, back in 98, we were just cubs, of course, but there was more of a sense of both sides taking it seriously. Now, obviously, the the allegations, the, what the president were being impeached for were very, very different. And in Clinton's case, you had Democrats who were really angry at him uh, for not just the act of having an affair with an intern in the White House, but then lying about it under oath. Now, the the actual facts aren't in dispute, but the interpretation of the facts could not be more different. Very well said. You should do a podcast. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I mean, I haven't seen a single crack from a single Republican, right? I, I, do you anticipate any Republican crossing the aisle and voting for impeachment? Next no. Week? And I have to say it's still... Even though I should be used to it by now in the Trump Republican Party. A party that he just four years ago completely disrupted. It it wasn't that long ago that Republicans did poke their head out of the hole and look around and, you know, say something that made him angry. And you know what happened? Twitter fire. And the ones who did it in the Senate, for example, Jeff Flake, Bob Corker, they had to retire. And in those districts, they're more afraid of a primary so uh, than they are of a general election. Precisely. So it, that grip on the base matters totally. I mean, it is the determinative thing. Um, Dana, on the Democratic side, do you have any indication from any of your reporting yet that these articles of impeachment are not going to pass in, with the no. Democratic majority? No. no. But as of now, no. But that said, this is a really important weekend coming up because – Members are going home. They're on planes as we speak, you know, here on Friday afternoon in D.C. to their districts. They're going to be they're going to hear from their constituents. And the most important ones to look at, of course, are those 31 Democrats in so-called Trump districts where the president 
won. And uh, they've already been hearing about it. Those members have been saying that their phones in Washington have been ringing off the hook. And they're going to have to make a decision whether or not, first of all, just to go with their with their conscience, with their gut about what's right, but also just on the raw politics of it. Do I, if any of the if any of the Democrats are even considering voting no against impeachment, would that politically, even though it would make the Republicans in their district happy, would it hurt them because you still need your Democratic base to win? Never mind the whole notion of a primary on the left, which is very possible just as it is on the right. Which is why the best politics here may be to vote your conscience yeah. uh, more necessarily than gaming it out for exactly that reason. It seems to me if you're in that kind of truly purple district, mm-hmm. you're going to piss off some folks in your district. Absolutely. And uh, you don't, you know, you got to do that calculation of, of which side you want to piss off more. And just one last thing. It is possible. I wouldn't say it's probable, but it is possible we could see different votes on the two articles. One on the abuse of power and the other on obstruction of Congress. They, they do seem to dovetail more than articles of impeachment have in the past. So maybe not, but it's possible. Yeah. I mean, remember in 1998, uh, four articles were voted out of judiciary to mm-hmm. the House floor. Two of them failed, actually. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you, and on all four, you saw different vote totals. Exactly. Um, but uh, two of them actually failed to pass the Republican-led Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be interesting to see uh, – in your conversations, how many of these moderate Democrats or these Trump district Democrats, what, when we look at the vote board, mm-hmm. what do the Pelosi operations say right now about how many they think they're really going to lose? Do oh, you boy. A, um, like, will it be 10 or fewer? Or I, I, They think they're going to lose fewer than 10. OK. Um, whether or not that's going to play yeah. out. They, no, they, not, they yeah. can. I mean, just in terms of the of the of the numbers, they can. They have their number. Their yeah, I think they can lose up to seventeen. Is big enough exactly to to lose a lot, but at a certain point, it also just is is hard to stomach politically. Although Nancy Pelosi understands uh, the need for members to do what they need to do back home in order to come back and keep her speaker or keep whomever else uh, wants to be speaker, depending on how it goes. So quickly before we go to break. Uh, uh, therefore, the, let's assume the articles of impeachment pass out of the House and head to the Senate for a trial. Mitch McConnell was just on Fox News uh, last night uh, talking to Sean Hannity, saying he is in complete coordination mm-hmm. uh, with the White House counsel on this. Do we have a sense of how the Senate is organizing itself for this trial? Mitch McConnell has made it very clear to his conference, to his fellow Republicans in the Senate, that he doesn't want it to drag out. He, there will be a trial. Uh, but he he if he had his druthers and he generally gets to get his druthers because <laughs> he's a, um, a a good manu- you know tactician he uh, there will be few or no witnesses and at the beginning of the week we had reporting that the White House was the president not just not the White House the president wanted witnesses and uh, the the leader has tried to explain to him that you know be careful what you wish for because if you get witnesses that you want we're going to have to give the Democrats witnesses that they want and that might not be so good for you uh, because that's traditionally the way it works and uh, so it seems as though the weeks the week ended with the with the president coming around and the fact that Mitch McConnell went on Fox News was a way for him to deliver a message through the medium and the channel that the president listens to and absorbs information better than anywhere else. 
And I thought that was very telling of the times and of this president. Yeah. He went on to say, look, we're locked arms. And by the way, we're going to do it my way. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. And, the, uh, and I'm going to help you out, Mr. President. That that was the message. Dana, stay right there. We're going to bring in reporter Caitlin Polans in just a moment. Please join us right after the break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. Dana Bash is still with me, and we're excited to welcome CNN crime and justice reporter, the always insightful Caitlin Polance. Caitlin, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, hi. Tell us, uh, before we get into some of the other issues you're, you're following, just where this is the congressional action Dan and I have just been talking about, but there has been legal action that has been connected to the impeachment inquiry. Where do, do impeachment matters stand in the court right now? There's there's a lot of impeachment action in court, um, even this week. I can tell you, though, I'm a little less excited this week than I was in previous weeks in that they're all moving very, very slowly. And the questions that the courts are looking at are ones that probably ultimately are not going to have much impact on what's going on in impeachment right now. But I'll run through these really quickly. The main one is related to an, an impeachment witness named Charles Kupperman. He's the former national security advisor, deputy national security advisor. So he was the person working under John Bolton. He was called to testify in the House. He didn't. And he went to the court and said, the, the House wants me to testify. The White House doesn't. What do I do? That case was in court this week. And they were supposed to do the whole shebang. And they didn't. Uh, the judge said, let's just look at, a, at the first issue on this. And they had arguments. And then the judge walked out of the courtroom and said, happy holidays, all. I'll get you an opinion eventually. And so that is clearly not Of course, not the Senate trial may be over by then. Right. That's right. It, absolutely. Um, and, and so that's even that's on a question of like, can that issue still be in court? Can it be before a judge? And then there's a whole separate set of questions about Trump's financial records. Now, those are things that the House could continue to investigate after this impeachment is over. And so those cases have made their way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is looking at at least one of them today involving a subpoena in New York um, from a state grand jury, from a state prosecutor. And we could have some sort of answer from the Supreme Court by the time uh, this podcast is being listened to by people. Um, separately, there's some questions in court about what the House can access as far as evidence and witnesses related to the Mueller investigation, which we thought could become something that becomes part of impeachment, but it didn't. It wasn't what Mueller had found both on obstruction and Russian interference in the in the election did not become part of the articles of impeachment at all. And so there were questions over did did the president obstruct justice um, that the House was considering and that they were going to court and saying, judges, please give us access to Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, give us access to the grand jury material Mueller collected and Courts had said so far, yes, uh, you should get access to that. Those things are on appeal. They're going to be heard in court in the in early January by an appeals court. So the mid-step before the Supreme Court won't be resolved. And so it looks like the House just sort of like set that aside mm-hmm. for now. And that really isn't playing into impeachment. But they all sort of go together and indicate that the House is, is continuing to look for the courts for help. Dana, before we were recording, you mentioned you asked Jerry Nadler about So I asked Jerry Nadler a question that Caitlin actually helped me with. Uh, I'll take you behind the scenes. Uh, (laughs) Over the weekend, so I interviewed him last Sunday. We talked on Saturday uh, about the notion of the House Democratic leaders, Jerry Nadler. Why didn't he go to the courts? 
when the White House said, nope, we're not participating. That turned into an article of impeachment, obstruction of Congress. But the question was, instead of, you know, just saying, no, oh, well, we're going to charge you with an article of impeachment, going to the courts, seeing if they if they uh, would decide. His answer to me, which Michael Gerhardt actually said that he agrees with, he's a uh, law professor who actually testified last week, is that the Constitution actually on this issue, they don't, it didn't mean for this to be one of those checks and balances thing that a court should decide. This is Congress's role. Congress does have the right to get information and so forth from the executive branch. The House has actually been very judicious, excuse the pun, (laughs) Um, whenever they have gone to courts. In this case, they've only gone to court to get the Mueller grand jury materials and the uh, McGahn testimony and the Trump tax returns from the IRS. So those really are sitting outside. But other people are going to court and asking for for judicial opinions. And historically, every time there has been sort of a fight between the White House and the House over whether a witness must testify, whether there are documents that have to be turned over, both sides enter into this game of chicken where neither really wants the judicial branch, this third branch of government, because to Because be careful in. what you wish for, right? If exactly. you get precedent is set, then precedent is set. It can't be changed. Exactly. And so they didn't do it um, in the the Bush years. They didn't do it in the Clinton years. It wasn't really something that ever was worked out in court. And right now, actually, yesterday, I spent three hours in court in Richmond in, in a... Um, and just for the record, she was in heaven. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was I'm gonna, 15 judges. Before you judges. get to I'm going to get you there. I, but I just want to button up what you're saying. So when you're saying be careful what you wish for, you're saying the way that the legislative and the executive can maintain power, uh, even if it's uncertain power, yes. is by not having the courts weigh in. Right. Exactly. And right now, the question that is being argued most right now is, is there a role for judges to come in and decide one way or the other? And Right now, in this context, the House is saying, yes, yes, in in some places you should. The Justice Department is saying, no, judges, get out. We've always negotiated for 250 years until like the 1970s. We always figured out a way to negotiate this politically. And and now it's this question of, like, does the House actually want an answer on that? Because some judges, like in the Kupperman case, both the House and the White House are saying, no, no, dismiss this. We don't have a subpoena on, on him anymore. We don't we don't need him to testify because now. Because they don't want to Get answer. it out. And the judge said in court three times, the House doesn't want me to get to the merits or the end of this case. Wow. OK. Now, uh, before we go, take us to your uh, fantasy land of uh, Richmond Court and 15 <laughs> judges and emoluments. OK. So in <laughs> emoluments is like the word. Isn't that the grand It really word? just yeah. sets me off. Yeah. So, <laughs> so 15. 15 judges on the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is like a all of the appeals judges in the states, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, and Maryland. And they're sitting in a court and they're reviewing this question of whether the D.C. and Maryland U.S. attorneys can get access to financial records from the Trump organization. So in when the House isn't suing, there have been other parties that have stepped up and come into court and said, we want to look at whether Trump is being constitutional, whether he's complying, you know, all kinds of different questions. And so in this particular case, this was like a very technical legal question that's kind of, it's an interesting thing for people who are following the law. But what happened is they argued the technical part of this. And then the judges, maybe 20 minutes into the argument, it was a three-hour argument, go straight to the heart of it. And they have an argument between with one another of 
What do we do with this president? This is the appellate level. Mm. So like what they would decide either they could either send it back to a lower court or it would go to the Supreme Court. That's Mm. what's next. And they were arguing with one another over what do we do with Trump? Like one judge is saying, what is the law? Is this the law? What do we do with this president who is announcing to have, uh, you know, conventions at his at the Doral um, resort? He he proposed to have the G7 in his Miami Doral resort. Right. And they discuss that. And there's another judge that's saying this is totally off the rails. We as a judiciary don't need to do anything because when the Doral uh, convention when the G7 was announced there, they worked it out politically. This was something that that mm. there was immense public so pressure on him, and and they found a conclusion. And so they really got to the heart of can you can they curtail what the president is doing with his businesses under the Constitution, and what kind of constitutional grounds are there um, whenever you're facing questions like this that we never really have had answers on? Wow, Caitlin. I love how much you love your job I and know. I love how much you make it's it so understandable to me because I have no knowledge of it whatsoever. I so love I, I love really working. appreciate that. <laughs> I can't believe you're not going to make her sing Rent. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, Dana. Okay. Dana, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you on Monday. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.